and welcome to the Hoop Collector Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Sunday afternoon. Joining us from New York City, Tim Bontes. Hello, everybody. Joining us from Dallas, Texas, where the Mavericks continue to confound. They win games they should lose and lose games they should win is Ben McMahon. Howdy, partners. I drew the wrath of that pesky little Pelicans fan base last night because I mentioned a week before the game that they were punting which I did not think was an offensive term for a team that was sitting out its three highest paid players and as well as Trey Murphy the third on a back-to-back. That was totally brutal. Didn't get to the hotel till 435. And there were some some angry Pelicans folks. The, the uh, team social media accounts were mocking me, doing the old alternating capital and lowercase letters. <laughs> I mean, whoo! Tell you what, Jordan Hawkins wasn't punting, baby. He was... He was lighting it up. Rising there, Stars candidate Jordan Hawkins. Just anecdotally, there's been some wild schedule situations over the last seven to ten days. And I'm not sure it has to do with the the rash of blowouts, but I would expect that it would. But just this concept that the, you know, it's you should never have you should never play a back-to-back when you go east. Never. And especially okay? when you are pushed back and it's our company, but when you're pushed back and so it's a later tip than normal because it's a national TV game like they were in Denver, whereas we all know the airport is on the other end of the earth. At, at, at the end of a long road trip. And yeah. and then you on the other side of it, now this was going west, but you had the Bucks uh, getting to play the Celtics. The Celtics, now forget about the overtime game, but you know, I actually personally think that Florida to the Northeast road trips are a little bit ridiculous on back to back. So somebody used to live in Florida. It's well, not. Well, just think, just look at the week that the Celtics were involved in. Yeah. Orlando, Minnesota wins in Orlando Tuesday. There's right. a storm. They leave right. Wednesday morning. They get to Boston at two in the afternoon on Wednesday. They have to play the Celtics Wednesday night, second night of a back to back. Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley don't play. Game goes to overtime. Wolves competed really hard. Ultimately, Boston tried for a few minutes and won the game. Then the Celtics fly four hours or three hours to Milwaukee to play a back-to-back on Thursday on national TV. One of the marquee games of the schedule. Insane. You got to do air quotes when you say play to play. Well, I mean, they I mean they got their asses kicked, but they played every they played just about everybody and just got drilled and then sat there. Well, they (laughs) sat. I mean, Joe Missoula, I think fairly looked at it and said, we're down 40 at halftime. I'm just going to pump the second <laughs> half of this game. So they get routed. Then they come back to Boston Saturday. They play Houston, which has bounced all over the place. Yeah. Was in it was in Detroit on Friday, played a close game. Fred played 43. Fred Van Vliet played 43 minutes. They escape from Detroit, give Detroit their 36th loss of the year. And then they come in and they get drilled. The second item. Right, but okay. So if you're going to have back-to-backs, Detroit, Boston, you know, that's going to happen. I'm talking about when Boston goes to Milwaukee, I believe it was a 6.30 start. Yeah. Right? So it negates the, you, you know, you, technically you're going east to west there, but it negates the the, the even yeah. hour. Not that an hour difference means that it would have been a it's also It's also not a short flight. Right. Yeah. It's two and a half, 2.45 probably. Well, and the Pelicans going from Denver to Dallas. It was an eight o'clock tip local in Denver. You lose an hour. And it's a national TV game, so it's going to be longer anyway. Right. Then they had weather. We all know how far out the airport is. They didn't get to their hotel until 4.35 a.m. 
They sit Zion. They sit Ingram. They sit McCollum. They sit Trey Murphy. <laughs> the Mavs are guys too, including Luca. But uh, whew. It, and, and and you mentioned it, Wendy. The Mavericks have had maybe their two worst losses of the year, playing uh, Skeleton Crews for the Grizzlies and the Pelicans, and maybe their two best wins of the year, beating the Wolves and beating the Knicks without Luca. Right. It's just like, look, we're at the time of the year where guys start to get dinged up and, you know, every team has one to three players. They just have an injury. That's what happens. But then, you you know, some of this, I think we could use a little AI on this scheduling that not only figures out the dates, but plug it into the computer and let the AI figure out how to maybe better organize the distance travel because well, that's, what they, that's what they are doing though. Hey, one thing about AI, there won't be any practice. Alan Iverson does not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what they're using, but it seems to me like it could work better. The other thing is for the, for the, for the league, Denver should be considered, you know, in the Western time zone because yeah. of how far the airport is. You're so it's like, it's all, it's, it's, I can't even tell you almost, it almost doesn't even matter if you're late for your flight. It's obviously, you know, just, you know, kills you. But even if you're on time, when you, when you're on your way to the Denver airport and you get off, uh, I think it's I-70 or I-76 and you know, you've made the drive, the, the 35 or 40 minute drive out and it says, okay, Tanya Boulevard, exit for the Denver International Airport. Okay. We're at the airport. And then it says Denver International Airport, 13 miles. <laughs> the access road is 13 miles long. And, the and access fellas, road. This is not a problem for uh, NBA teams, but I do got to tell you, me being a cheap ass, not paying TSA pre-check, Denver's one place where it where it does make me think twice. This is this is the when I go around the country and people say, "Hey, love the podcast." Maybe they say they hate the podcast behind cool. my back, but when they speak to me, they say, "Love the podcast." Most of the time, they says the second thing they say to me is, "How could McMahon not have TSA?" In, in the past two weeks, I've seen several people from the league in a- airports and arenas around the country since you said that, and all of them have immediately said, "What the hell is this guy doing? Not I having s- pre-check? I'm cheap and I struggle with paperwork. It's a but it's okay. We're okay. We're going to do it for him. We should we should get sponsored. We should get sponsored by the TSA pre-check forget program. We should get a sponsorship. Sponsored. It's not. All right, forget about it. McMahon is $17 a year, McMahon. It's unacceptable. I've seen you. Well, I'm not even going to say. It. All right. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> we're going to do the paperwork for him. I don't believe That's it. You promised before you've let me down many a time. We let you down? Okay. All right. There was a trade in the NBA on Sunday. I don't think the trade is really all that interesting. I think what the trade says is uh is more interesting it went down uh early in the morning detroit and washington two of the worst teams in the nba it's really playing each other on monday ironically oh i didn't even know that yes they are boy that could be a major factor in that game uh anyway the pistons traded marvin bagley the third and isaiah livers and two future second round picks and the second round pick protections are odd but it's 24 and 25 for Danilo gallinari and mike muscala this is definitely a moving of the the deck chairs. However, the most important thing about it is that Bagley's twelve and a half million dollars that was going to be on the on the books for Detroit next year uh, moves to Washington's books for that two point for that twelve point five million. Washington basically gets the two second rounders. You know, the two second rounders. We'll see whether Gallinari uh, and Muscala stay there if they're rerouted or eventually bought out. I doubt the two of them are really excited about that. <laughs> they, they, well, they it feels Washington though. 
<laughs> the irony to this is that this trade sort of feels like the Ishmith trade to Philly several years ago when the Colangelos took over from Sam Hinkie and that team, which was an absolute train wreck. They were more or less ordered, go get some sort of actual point guard to run the team. And when you look at this de- this Detroit team, which can't shoot at all, it's like, oh, hey, you trade for Mike Muscala and Dylan Dil- Gallinari, at least you're getting a couple of guys that teams are going to respect as shooters. Though obviously the more important part is the shedding of money for next season. Right. So I'm not sure why Detroit wants a bunch of cap space, what they think they're going to do with it, but they now have over $60 million. And so the question is, what other moves could they do if that indeed is their focus? And there's one in particular. Basically, this highlights Boyan Bogdanovich. Mm -hmm. Um, Boyan is a player who would be probably desired by just about every contender out there perimeter player who can shoot the three. He's not a a great defensive player, but he isn't a hole either. He's serviceable. Uh, There have been times in his career where he's been, you know, pretty good defensively. Not, you know, not sure where he's at now. It's kind of hard to judge it. The whole Detroit defensive system is a bit of a mess, but he's on the books for 20 million this year and 19 million next year. His contract slightly goes down. It's a very desirable contract for a number of different reasons. And so, so really the thing is, is if Detroit is beginning their restructuring here, because I know what you're saying, Bontemps, it's a good, you know, the, 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 the 76ers, you know, for years went doing everything they possibly could to acquire uh, draft picks, not even really caring about the veterans that came with them. And then when Brian Colangelo took over, the Ish Smith deal brought in a point guard because they needed a point guard. And they actually, I think, traded two second round picks for him. And you really want to unearth that. I think they had actually released Ish Smith like several months before. And so they gave him away, just cut him for free. And then they paid yeah. two draft picks to get him back. And the point was like the era of them not caring about their record and accumulating draft picks was over. And Sam Hinkie was out of there within days, if not weeks, if not days. Well, I think he was officially out of there. He wasn't officially out of there until the end of the season. But that when the Colangelos came in, that was right all but over anyway. Well, anyway, anyway, I, I, I'm not sure that you know they're hoping to know Gallinari provides a steady veteran. No, the, the parallel is just that they're a disaster of a team, and it it it's a similar thing. Like, what are you doing at right. three and thirty six trading draft picks anywhere? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Right. So. Okay. um yeah. Except they're dumping money that they don't want for next year, you know, and, and cap space. Again, you always think free agency in cap space, but we've seen a lot of time like Sam Presti is part of the way he's collected a decent amount of these picks is basically renting out cap space. Uh, that's always a possibility. They're still renting cap space. They made a trade for Kevin Porter Jr. a few months ago that was renting out cap space. Mm-hmm. They could well, still the one- rent out more cap space this year if they wanted to. Right. The one significant difference, too, for Detroit than teams in the past is in the past, you didn't have to spend the money. You would you would eventually have to pay your players if you didn't get to the salary floor, but you didn't have to spend the salary cap space. In the new CBA, the rule is by the start of the regular season, you have to spend the cap space. So it is a bit of a ticking clock on that compared to what it used to be, which could put you in a situation if you're Detroit, not exactly a glamour market. That if you're not able to properly use that cap space in a good way, whether it is to acquire a players to help you win or players that will give you draft picks or spending it on good players, you may end up spending it on not so good players and making your situation well, worse. Well, that's the thing. So last summer, the Pistons had cap space and they elected to use it on veteran players who would, quote unquote, help them immediately. Joe Harris and Monty Morris. Now, Morris has been hurt. 
Joe Harris is buried on the bench. So they've just gone through a, a trans, uh, you know, a transaction cycle where they decided to use cap space to bring on players and it was blown up in their face. So look, if you want to get off Badley's contract, fine. But I, I, the accumulation of cap space to me seems questionable decision because it's not exactly a, an incredibly deep free agent class. And I don't think Paul George is uh, considering <laughs> going to Detroit. Yeah. You know, there are, you know, I don't, I don't think free agency is a realistic path for the Pistons at this point for so, a variety of reasons. So the market for, for Boyan, if they go, would be interesting. Um, he has a sal- he has a, he, he's on a cap figure that makes him tradable. He's not a rental. Uh, the team that comes up immediately, Bond Temps, is the Philly 76ers who have expiring contracts, extra draft picks. He would fit in nicely there. But there are some other teams as well. But I think Philly is a team that is probably keeping an eye on Detroit pretty closely. Yeah, and he could be a rental if you want. He's got a very small partial guarantee for next season. So it's more or less an expiring contract. If you don't want to have him around, you don't have to for next year. Yeah, like you said, as a combo forward who's scoring around 20 a game and is a good three-point shooter and you know it certainly slipped defensively, but you could put him out there and he's probably not going to kill you defensively. That's a guy that, in theory... A lot of competitive teams would want to have on their team. I think the question comes back to with that, is Detroit going to move him in a deal and try to get as much as they can? Like they could have done this a year ago and the price was very high and they ended up not doing anything. And the other way you could look at this trade in some respects is, all right, we're trying to add shooting to this team. We're trying to make sure we're not the worst team of all time. If you trade Boyan Bogdanovich off this team, it increases your chances of being the worst team of all time. Because at this point, the Pistons are three and 36 and they're on pace to win like seven games, which would be the worst team ever. And I suspect that while I'm sure they're having one eye on the summer, they are going to try to avoid being the worst team ever. So I do think that's a real thing to weigh in terms of whether Boyan actually would be on the trade market or not. If I had to guess, I would guess Boyan's on the team on February 10th because I think they're going to be trying like hell to make sure they win 10 games. And, you know, then he'd be an expiring next year. Um, and you know, he's one of these guys who there's a long list of teams who would be interested in adding him, but are there teams that would be interested in giving up value that the Pistons believe is reasonable to get him? Like the Mavericks have had interest in, in Bogdanovich since he was in Utah. They're, they're not alone in that. Like who doesn't want a six foot eight, uh, shooter who, you know, has some playoff experience and, you know, isn't isn't hungry for the ball necessarily and competitive, all those kind of things. But I don't I don't know that it's if if they're still looking for like first round kind of compensation, I don't know if that's going to materialize. The other thing that Detroit could do is that they have a bunch of expiring contracts on their books now with Canalinari and Mascala being added. Joe Harris is a twenty million dollar expiring contract. Alec Burks is a ten million dollar. Monty Morris is a ten million dollar. They have as much expiring money on their books as anybody. They could basically do, you know, the old pre-agency where they mm-hmm. could try to take on a player who another team doesn't want and take on money and basically do it now. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't have a great list of players who I who I would suggest for that. I this isn't going to happen because he was already there, but like a player like Jeremy Grant, who maybe Portland would want to move off of and you know they have him on this long contract and that's a way to get Portland out of the contract. Well, look, we talked about it the other day. If Golden State decides to move off Andrew Wiggins, that would be an interesting landing spot for him, I think. If you're the if you're the 
the Pistons. They don't have any wing play, really. He has proven in the past to be a good shooting wing. Obviously, he's been horrible this year for Golden State. But like we talked about last week, if you're a team in a small market or an undesirable free agent destination, and you believe Andrew Wiggins can had, can get back to the player he was two years ago, like that's a guy who would really help this Pistons team. I don't know what they're going to decide to do, but like there are moves that they could make now if they wanted to to try to get guys like that or you know players that they think could help them. And frankly, I think that would be. I mean, we've talked about that with Philly, right? That's been the question with the Sixers since they made the James Harden trade. Are they going to make trades for February to get better now, or are they going to try to buy their time for the summer to go after some big name free agents? And obviously, those are two teams in extraordinarily yes. different situations, but. It's ultimately the same choice. And if you're Detroit and you can get guys that you think are fits with Jalen Duran and Cade Cunningham and their young players going forward, I see no reason to wait if the the price is right to do it now. Well, and Indiana's uh, in that same boat, mm-hmm. but kind of in, a, in an in-between situation where it, it, it's a small market, but that is a team that's on the rise. And so, you know, you've, for example, they've been linked to Siakam since the summer. And so the question that that's been brought up is, well, why give up assets for Siakam when you might be able to sign him this summer? And I think one reason to say uh, to do it would be because if you really, really want a chance to sign him this summer, you would probably be best served to get him in the building, in the system. Hopefully, I don't know how long Halliburton's going to be out, but hopefully you know, getting fed by Halbert a whole lot and realizing, wow, playing this fast, you know, with this kind of all-star point guard is really, really fun. And and that, uh, you know, that run the rest of the season, I would think would increase the odds as opposed to just trying to recruit him with no ties to him. I don't think Indiana would trade for Siakam unless they had a pretty good feel he was going to remain. So I think if you got serious with C, I think... Um, there's two negotiations there. One mm-hmm. is negotiation with the Raptors for the contract or for the trade, and the other would be for Siakam for the contract, even though you're not supposed to do it. Right. That's what happened. I mean, that like that's what happens in like, you know, world soccer. You know, you negotiate sometimes the player negotiates with the team and says, Yeah, I'll go play for you for this amount of money. And then the team has to go to his team and then negotiate a fee. And sometimes it happens in the inverse order. And quite frankly, that happens in the NBA. You know, regularly. Sometimes it happens with the team's blessing. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, But when you ever, any player who gets traded of, of, you know, repute um, gets traded, who's a free agent to be, you can almost guarantee whether anybody wants to admit it or not, that there's been talk between the player's agent and the team. And that's almost certainly what would happen with Siakam. Unless you saw Siakam go at the, at the deadline buzzer for like, a couple of second round picks and expiring contract or something. If there was anything of real value given for Siakam, which is what it would take for Indiana to get him, you know that there's been an understanding. And, you know, it's just what happened with New York and OG Ananobi. There's, you know, the, the, the Knicks don't give up those two pieces unless they're pretty sure OG Ananobi intends to stay there. Uh, but first of all, not necessarily an understanding. Uh, it doesn't have to be, hey, if you trade for me, I will resign. Even I would say a a an indication of a, a of a willingness of a hey if, if we feel like this is a good fit, then we're we are open to resigning at 
X number. Well, let me just tell a story because I've written this before and the parties confirmed it. And, you know, I guess it was technically tampering, but it's in a book. So when before LeBron James came back to Cleveland in 2014, when the Cavs were planning on building around Kyrie Irving and they were trying to sign Gordon Hayward, when Kevin Love asked for a trade from the Minnesota Timberwolves, David Griffin, the general manager of the Cavs, then the general manager of the Cavs, called up Jeff Schwartz, the power agent that represents Kevin Love. And he said, I'd like to trade for Kevin. I know he's only got one year left on his contract. If we trade for him, would he stay here? If you know, I mean, I'm sure they was offered him a max, but would he stay here? And Jeff Schwartz said, no, don't trade for him. He wouldn't stay there. So Griff had done his due diligence, scratched Kevin Love off of the books and moved on to other business, specifically trying to do a, a deal for Gordon Hayward. When LeBron announced he was coming home, David Griffin's phone rings. Hello, <laughs> Jeff Schwartz. Literally, I mean, Griff told me the story. It's in the book. He's literally in his office within five minutes of the of the letter, uh, the essay from Lee Jenkins coming out in Sports Illustrated. One of the first people who got to him was Jeff Schwartz informing him that Kevin Love was now ready to be a Cav. I think Kevin Love and LeBron might have communicated as well, but then they then after that was settled, then they called and negotiated with the Wolves. So that is a routine piece of business that happens. So, um, and that's one of the reasons why Siakam hasn't been traded is that there have been, and this has again been reported that Siakam has, you know, been involved. Some teams have been interested where Siakam wasn't interested necessarily in staying. And part of it also was Siakam wasn't interested in getting traded at all. I don't think because if he would make all NBA this year and he was on the Raptors, he would be eligible for the Supermax. You know, we're in the stress max zone here with Siakam. And so um, it doesn't look like he's making all NBA. I guess I shouldn't rule that out, but I think, you know, he's made all NBA, I think twice in the past and in July. By the way, just as a bit of a non sequitur, one thing to think about with this going forward is Siakam last year finished ninth in voting among forwards for all NBA, right? If he'd made all NBA last year, he'd have been eligible for the Supermax because he would have made it two years in a row Um, or he would have been able to sign it, I should say, because he's going to be a free agent. The three guys, three of the guys who finished ahead of him, Giannis, Jimmy Butler, and LeBron, wouldn't have been allowed to be all NBA players under the new system with the new rules. Kevin Durant wouldn't have been able to be voted for either. He finished eighth ahead of Siakam. Kawhi Leonard wouldn't have been able to be voted for either. He finished 10th behind Siakam. Point is, if this rule had been in place last year, Pascal would have qualified for all NBA. And we would have been talking about, well, are the Raptors going to give him a Supermax? Well, I. Okay, he would have been fifth among eligible forwards to vote but, for. Right, but this rule as well as the positionless ballot. Uh, sure. My point is that there were there were five or six of the 15 players last year who were all NBA players would didn't play 65 games. So my, I'm just saying that is, going a, that, forward, is a, that is a great point. It is there's already been a lot of stress around these these votes and whether guys are gonna make it and get this thing. And like this award or this rule is going to add another level of mm-hmm. intrigue and stress on that on both ends. Cause you're going to have guys who would qualify it that should qualify for it and should that like Tyrese Albert in this year probably would have been on pace to get the fun max. Now he's got this hamstring injury or we'll see when he's able to play. Well, Halliburton got guys on Supermax. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying he get the 30%. If Halliburton, Halliburton already got the fun max, but he, but we we don't know if he well, gets the the escalator. 
the act. Well, it, it would it will be a little more fun for him if he gets an extra large chunk of money. No, I agree. I agree. I'm just he, saying he, he already he already got the contract. Just to be clear, right? But right. Yeah. But there's that level of player that's focused on that, and there's guys like Bam Adebayo and De'Aaron Fox and a bunch of guys that are going to be in the mix for All NBA that may play enough games, may not, may make it because other guys don't. So it's just. It's an interesting wrinkle to think about with this rule going forward, because as we know, every year we get down to like Jalen Brown last year, we get down to the end of the season and there's a lot of focus on, well, is this guy going to be all NBA? Is he not? And what does that portend for his contract in the summer? And by the way, Siakam has only missed one game this season and he led the league in minutes per game the last two years, average minutes per game. He missed some time. But he have he played seventy one games last season, so he'd have been mm-hmm. eligible. Um, mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's very very interesting to point out. Speaking of what the Pistons are going to do, I thought there was a fascinating comment from Monty Williams before the game uh, on Saturday. Was it on Friday? Was it Friday? Friday. I believe it was yesterday after Friday's game, but I could be wrong on that. Okay. Um, he basically said that there had been a. Uh, uh, he, well, he, the, the term he was, was, uh, he used was big organizational meeting, uh, on Friday. And in that meeting it was pointed out to him, you know, maybe he should be playing Jaden Ivey more <laughs> the guy that they, uh, no, that, no, no, it's not that it's worse than that. It's a Jaden Ivey, the point guard they drafted with the fifth overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft should maybe be playing point guard. That was, that was starting, what was pointed out to starting. him. Well, no, but playing with the ball in his hands, that was the point. It was, hey, Monty, maybe you should play Jaden Ivey with the ball. Oh, you know, it's on me. Just, I just wasn't thinking about that. No, he the, probably the should fr- have done that. The phrase he used was, I have to eat it. I wish I did it earlier. Well, it's never uh, too late when you're three and 30 some odd. Well, the point is, three we've, and been 36. To, <laughs> we've been, to, I mean, we, we, haven't, we haven't talked a lot about the Pistons on this podcast, but the few times we've talked about it, we've said, we can't believe Jaden Ivey's not playing. Like yeah. we can't, you know, Jaden Ivey's got to be, you know, really. Or I, when I, he I, is playing, he's standing in the corner watching. Right. Or they're and, playing Bon Tim's favorite player over him. Yes. Killian Hayes, best player in the league, according to Monty Williams, apparently. Well, I'm trying to see if I can uh, get what percentage of time he's been at the point this year. I haven't and have that. We don't idea. need to get that in depth on it. It's not enough. It's one of many reasons. The, the point is they're, they're, they're halfway through the season and there's just no way that this hasn't been brought up to over and over and over. It's certainly been brought up by people who are around the team. Forget even, forget even about like fans. Like it's been, say, it's listen, been, it, it ain't that loud of those games. I'm sure you can hear some of those fans. Like, yes. I mean, and like, look, I, the Pistons organization, like, I'm sure that he was told before this quote, big, <laughs> this big, right, a, a big organization, meeting. you know? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I don't even know what to make of it. I don't even know what to make of, of that. I mean, so, not, uh, that, not that if they, yeah, go ahead. reference as a position estimate thing uh, is, is part of each sure. player's. Their estimate is he's played 4% of his minutes at point guard this year. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, he was a, I don't know, man. It's a it's a mismatch roster all the way around. And when Cade's healthy, Cade is going to have the ball when he's on the floor, which always made Ivy an odd fit. And I get when you're as bad as the Pistons have been, you don't necessarily draft for need. But, man, they've got a whole lot of 
God, I mean, it is. You don't need to be playing there. Killian Hayes. That it's very right. simple. Don't well, play this, him and let Jade Navi have the ball. It's not. Yeah. It is. This ain't complicated. The story goes that look, I don't know what the I don't know what was in Monty McNary's head, the general manager of the Kings. But the story goes, and you know they had De'Aaron Fox. But the story goes that Jaden Ivey, via his representation, let it be known to the Kings he didn't want to be there. And so the Kings, again, they may have taken Keegan Murray anyway, right? But he tried to avoid Sacramento, which he did. You know, that was a, that was a in the moment that was a surprise that mm. that, that Sac would pass on him that night. It was a surprise, right? So he gets to Detroit, which he had to realize was a possibility. You know, he knew that Cade was there. So he must have felt that that was a, a, a possible match, despite Cade being on the roster and despite there being another lottery pick guard, Killian Hayes, there. So I will say that part of it was he kind of guided himself to Detroit, whatever that's worth. I'm pointing out the full rounding of the story. But either way, you have the number five pick in the draft, who was as exciting of a player in college as we've seen the last few years, when so many of the top players are coming from G League Ignite, Overtime Elite, or Overseas, or Australia, you know, Europe or Australia. Like, watching Jaden Ivey play in college was extremely exciting. You know, he was a big-time impact player. A lot of excitement around him. And the fact, the way they've just sort of let him wither this season is, frankly, unacceptable. Like, look, if he's not playing well, okay, you know. But, like, what they've done to him is just like it's an it's egregious on what's going on with that team that season. It's one of many. It's one of many reasons why it's been a complete disaster this year. Beyond the three and thirty six. Listen, that's enough Detroit talk. This let, let's <laughs> let's brighten the mood a little bit. All right. Yeah, am so, I talking about the Bulls? <laughs> More hoop collective podcast after this. Oh my God. Oh yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen anything more disappointing and ridiculous than the booing of the widow of Jerry Krause. Um, I mean, I think I've seen things that were more disappointing and ridiculous, but it's it's up there. That's for sure. I mean, it's a dead guy's wife. And by the way, in a city in Chicago, by the way, that is basically known for epic failures in sports. Their football team. I wouldn't agree with that. I think they're I probably would. known their for two baseball teams the Bulls were winning not... six titles in eight years. Okay. I think that was pretty good. Also, what are the hey, baseball teams talking about the Bears. Uncle Jim led them to a Super Bowl championship. They won. <laughs> they've won one Super Bowl. They haven't. They the the last All Pro quarterback they had, I believe, was Sid Luckman, which was in eighty years ago. The two baseball teams were known for having one hundred year droughts without winning a championship, and the one team that's had an incredible run. The Blackhawks have won like a couple of cups in the last 10, 15 years. And then had just, and also had like unbelievable scandal within the organization on a variety of I believe the Chicago Sky might have won a title as well. Yes, they have. The Sky have won a title. The the point is, the one great dynasty in Chicago sports history built by Jerry Krause, and Jerry Krause is treated like David Kahn in Chicago. It is insane. While David Kahn is just over in Paris listening to this podcast, he's like, wait, uh, he just took some shrapnel. Holy Moses. If if Jerry Krause did what David Kahn did in Minnesota, he would deserve to be booed in Chicago. You know what this is about. This is insane. You know what this is about. Of course I do. The reason that the people booed Jerry Krause was because of the last dance. Well, because, I mean, Michael Jordan is a bully. He's a petty bully. He's arguably the greatest player of all time. But he's a petty bully, and they followed his lead. That's right. Totally. That's what that was. That was, I mean, because how many of those fans 
really remember the intricacies of Jerry Krause. I mean, I mean, none of them. It was also it was a very clumsily done thing. Well, I would just like to think the people booing, like booing a dead man, is rough regardless. But I would like to think those folks weren't aware at the time they were booing that the man's widow was sitting there. Yeah, I I think the way it was presented on TV, we saw his widow there and we saw her tear up. That wasn't necessarily the people in the building were aware. Ugh. I know they were aware that she was there, but they were booing his face on the scoreboard. They weren't uh, directly booing his, her, but his face, her matter. face was her face was on the scoreboard. I'm just okay. saying, I talked to several I, I, people yeah, who were there. I don't want to okay. defend. I don't want to defend That's them. But my, let me just say real quick. But what was going on was the Bulls have retired jerseys. And by the way, Jerry Krause's name is in the rafters at being honored. They also have done statues. I mean, um, Jordan has a statue at the United Center. Mm-hmm. This was the beginning of their Ring of Honor. They didn't previously have a Ring of Honor. The difference between a Ring of Honor and a retired jersey is how badly you need to sell tickets in January if you want my. I was going to say, but that's neither it's here nor there. That we're, we've been mediocre for years, so let's celebrate right. this. Buy a ticket. Yeah, and Phil Jackson came, but Scottie Pippen and Jordan didn't. Although Jordan did a video, and he ma- he managed to make quite the impression because in the video he was sitting in front of this gorgeous trophy case and you could see at least three of his finals mvps i think the other three might have been behind his head but it was very impressive the room that he was in but the reason kraus got booed was because of the way he was you know portrayed in the last dance and you know the reason that pippen's you know scotty pippen went after jordan you know in that book and in subsequent interviews was because of the way he was portrayed in yeah, the last and he dance. wasn't there and dennis rodman wasn't there either yeah I, Rodman, Rodman's kind of Rodman, but yes, you're right. Rodman, uh, supposedly there was some weather related issues. You never know. Yeah. Well, anyway, the three of them weren't there. Yes. And look like the last dance was amazing and Jordan had full control of the edit and it was what it was. And I'm glad, you know, I'm glad he was being real. Like when Jordan like gave that speech about what it meant to play with him. And then he said, uh, time to take a break. Like I want that. And so like, um, I want, them being him being real and i want him to tell his side of the story but there's fallout for that mm-hmm. and that fallout was unfortunate right in, in that you know hit thelma kraus uh, jerry kraus's widow in a moment that is a very unfortunate mark on bulls history i and, would say that the uh, ring of honor ceremony went slightly worse than their zach levine trade discussion so far well, by the way <laughs> there is there has never arguably been a more immediate dose of karma in human history yeah. than that happening at halftime. And then the Warriors coming out in the third quarter. And human history, McMahon. Bulls, human history. Outscoring the Bulls 48 to 20 in the third quarter and just yeah. curb stomping them instantly after that. Steve Kerr uh, had Gary Krause's back. Kenny Atkinson. Another man played by Jordan. I don't know. For, I don't know for sure who gave the halftime speech. Not that there's a halftime speech, but Steve Kerr wasn't in the Warriors locker room at halftime. He was being honored as part of the 98, I think 97, 98 team, or maybe it was 72 win, the 72 win champion. Okay. They, okay. Yeah, they honored the 72 win. Team. All right. The uh, 95, 96 team. Um, he was out there. Uh, so he wasn't in the locker room going over. <laughs> maybe Steve should skip that the locker room uh, <laughs> going forward. But uh, yes, they gave up 50 in the third and then the Warriors uh, even with the most points of the year and lost. Yeah. And Curry didn't even have that good of a game. Curry was, he's, I know he's three of 15 in the first half or something like that. So, yeah. So that was, 
very unfortunate. And uh, the Bulls did come back and win Saturday night in uh, in San Antonio, although that's not much. Victor didn't that's, play. Victor didn't play. That's not saying much. But hey, yeah. Trey Jones started a point guard. The the Spurs are somewhere balled out. Ability when that happens, he balled yeah, out in that game. Almost like he should have been starting lineup all season, but I'm not one to question a legend. No. Yeah, Trey Jones and um and Don't want to be mean. Jaden Ivy are they can text each other memes. <laughs> all right. I'd like to have some some sun and fun in this podcast, but it's not happening because now we're well, going we to talk about trades. We're, we're, we're planning on hitting the Hawks. If we want sun and fun, well, we, better skip, we better skip right well, that's past That's what I'm too. saying. We're, I was going to talk about the Hawks. Let's spin it this way. Like, man, about to come with some positivity? Listen, what a I'm, thing. All about, I'm all about positive. As if you are a leader in, in uh, positivity hey, there, Bontemps. I have lots of positive moments. That I specialize They're just ignored. Positive stuff. Um, <laughs> I saw uh well anyways we'll go on. Um, <laughs> saw a former Maverick who I went up and said hi to the other day and that's the first thing he said to me. Um <laughs> anyways, we could spin it as let's not talk about how messy it is in Atlanta. Let's just talk about potential destinations for DeJounte Murray, potential deals that would would make sense places where he might be able to make an immediate impact and move the needle we could do that because it's Listen. messy land and the fact that they're trying to they're determined to trade this guy that they just gave up a ton of draft capital to get a year and a half ago is <laughs> indication that things have gone off the rails as is losing by 28 at home to the wizards which is what they did saturday night yeah so Real quick on Atlanta, they're eight games under 500. They are just outside the play-in line, which is they've been a play-in team the last two years. That is not what they were looking for when they hired Quinn Snyder mid-season last year. They've actually gotten worse defensively. I mean, Quinn... saw what our guy Zach Lowe was thinking when he bet me that they were going to finish top five in the East earlier this year. What was the the wager? Uh, He, he on I went on his pod before the season. He bet me $100 that... The Hawks would finish top six. So before I could say absolutely, which I was about to, he then said, no, I'll make it top five. So I said, oh, my sure. God. Great. Well, I think it was supposed to be a, a steak dinner. And then Zach realized that would mean he had, he'd have to actually socialize with you. <laughs> Listen, Bontemps has gotten uh, reservations at Peter Luger before. And so I would have, you know... I. Hey, listen, man. I'll I'll go spend Zach's money. I mean, hundred bucks isn't going to get you get it done there, but I'll you know I'll take I'll take the hundred. Jackson's and... Jackson's old man is at Peter Luger's at the moment. He tells us Peter is Luger's right? great steakhouse yeah. in uh, New York City. It's in Brooklyn, actually, which and is it's in New York spe- City. But thank you. Spectacular... <laughs> well, that's true. But... Anyway, anyway, they've, they've actually gotten worse defensively under Quinn Snyder, which is not what they were looking for. Because I mean, it helped to have. The Stifle Tower out there in Utah, but they were tremendous defensive teams under Quinn Snyder. It, it helped. Rudy propped up a very mediocre group around him. That's what okay. happened. Let's, okay, let's... but th- does Quinn Snyder get no credit for being? Quinn <laughs> does. He he structured a defense around a generational defensive talent. Look, I have a ton of respect well, for Quinn. Well, look, well, and with all yeah, due we respect, all do. We all do. Quinn Capella is not having his best season uh, either, but their perimeter defense is. Awful, but okay, we don't have to get in. The point is, I would just say this about the Hawks. The Hawks in the last, you know, since the summer of 2022 have been so overstuffed with talent on their roster that they've given away two players without getting anything in return. Yet they, 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 they dumped John Collins for a second round pick. 
mm-hmm. basically a, a salary dump. And then right. they traded Kevin Herter for a first, which they get the Sacramento Kings first round pick this year, which they might end up drafting a Hall of Famer. But I'm just saying, like, they've to clear out room on their books for the amount of talent they've got on their roster. They've literally cast off two guys to get the salaries off their books in the last two seasons. And yet they are still well below 500 and not making any really progress. And still owe the Spurs some significant draft capital. I don't think they've paid any of that yet. Nope, Uh, they have not. Starting next year, 25, 27, 29, I believe is the... And swaps. And at least one swap, right? I think maybe it's two picks and a swap. I'll look right now. Well, they gave three firsts, but one only two of them were theirs. I think maybe that other first might have been used. Also, uh, Trey Young is shooting 42% on the season. He's having his worst shooting season since his rookie year. We said we were going to spin it on who might. All right. You're right. All right. Anyway, so DeJounte is the name that is on everyone's. 25, 26, 27, 26 swap, 25, 27. Uh, unprotected first going to San Antonio. Oh, man. Here comes Uh, (laughs) More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Which is is where the discussions about what's going to happen with DeJounte Murray, that's sort of where you have to start with. The fact that they paid a huge price for a guy who they thought was going to keep them right in the mix at the top of the East. And instead, if they are trying to arbitrage that now, you should not be looking at it like, hey, we've got to get back the same value. We got to just make the best move we can make for our team if you decide you got to go in that direction. But that's typically not how teams look at this stuff. Yeah. And that's the first thing that's going to be said when that trade is made is look at what they gave up and look at what yeah. they got back. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about two two guys they've extended, not just Murray. So Murray Murray signed a four-year, $120 million extension in July. They're looking to trade him right now. So that's one thing. And then DeAndre Hunter, they signed to a five-year, $90 million extension last season. And he's a guy who I think has a good chance of getting traded as well. They dangled Um, him this summer. Well, I I don't know. I I don't know if I'd put it that way. I would say that uh, he's a guy that they've been, I think, they would like to trade. And they've attempted attempted to trade. And I I would guess will not be traded, but. So let's oh. just let's just cut to it. Wendy, you put some makeup on and went on TV and talked about DeJounte Murray to the Lakers. What do you think it would take from the Lakers to make that happen? Okay. So as of Monday, when this podcast comes out, the whole Lakers roster is available to trade. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, January 15th is the final day before the deadline when all the all the contracts other than guys who've been extended in the season or traded can be. Right. Move. In the case of um, in the case of the Lakers, it means Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura were not eligible until Monday can be traded. So a couple of things about DeJounte Murray. One is, is that he has a trade kicker in his contract, which Bobby Marks tells me would be the highest trade kicker. If he was traded, it'd be the highest trade kicker in league history. So as is that a because group, of how many years it it's added on. Yes, because you know, a trade kicker, you get a bonus per year you have left on your contract or, or the amount of money you have left on your contract. The other thing is, is you can't make more than the maximum salary. So there have been players on maximum salary contracts who've been traded in the past. Many of them have been traded in the past, but you can't get more than the max. Well, here's a player who's below the max, who has a big giant contract, 
Um, it's it's unusual for a player on this type of contract to get traded with this much left on his contract. So it would be, I believe Bobby said to me, it would be the highest trade bonus in the history of the league, $13 million. And that would, that would have to be paid by the Hawks, Mm -hmm. but it goes onto the books of the team. He gets traded to on a per year basis. And that doesn't, it's about a little under $3 million per year. Now, that's not that big of a deal, but it is something to consider for a team that's potentially in the apron that when you look at Jamal or uh, Jamal Murray, when you look at DeJounte Murray's numbers, you just need to consider that. I'm sure DeJounte Murray is like, send me the Lakers. I'll take the 13 million on the flight out of town. Um, but that is one thing. To con- now, trade kickers are negotiable. You may remember, as a matter of fact, when Anthony Davis asked to be traded to the Lakers, the uh, he had a pretty big trade kicker, seven or 8 million, I think it was. And he waived it to help the Lakers out on some stuff. Uh, it can be waived or it can be reduced, but I don't see why DeJounte would be in any mood to reduce it. So the Lakers, a lot of Atlanta, <laughs> right? The Lakers would be the, 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 I've often said that the two assets that the Lakers have that have interest in the teams around the league are Austin Reeves and, um, and they're, they're, their future first round pick that they have. They can trade either 29 or 30, not both. They can also throw in some swaps. They have all their swaps, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be traded. Now, this is take some nuance and anybody listening to this podcast, I already think understands this, but I seem to be having this back and forth with Kendrick Perkins uh, regularly on TV. Is Zach Levine a better player than Austin Reeves? Yes. So I was trying to explain to him that Austin Reeves has more value than Zach Levine. I'm not saying that, you know, it's just like Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal got traded for expiring contracts and second round picks. He didn't get that, traded that because he stinks. He got traded for that because of his contract and his no trade clause. The reason Austin Reeves has such value in trades, he makes $12 million. He makes $12 million and he's mm-hmm. a starter level guard. And that is why he has value. He's, you know, he's not, you know, you know, he's a, he's more valuable than D'Angelo Russell because he's more productive than D'Angelo Russell and he makes five million dollars less. Well, he's more valuable than D'Angelo Russell because he's good. That's that's why he's more hey, valuable. Hey, D'Angelo Russell had thirty nine points in Utah last night. Mm-hmm. It was a loss. Yes, <laughs> it was a step forward because he'd had thirty nine points like his last three games. So they need D'Angelo Russell t- to score no matter what happens. But but um, listen, but just to cut to it, Austin Reeves potentially being included could make or break this deal. Yes. And so we thought Austin Reeves might be an ascending star. I think probably need to tap the brakes on that, but he is a quality starter on a great value contract. You know, and which makes him a very good asset. Right. And if you're talking about him plus a future pick that's far enough out and you know, I I guess you can play with protections or whatever, but that picks far enough out to where it's, it's you're going to have to discuss protections because there's going to be some significant risk involved, just as there would be with any kind of swap. That's the, and I don't know that just straight up Reeves for Murray, like how much does that even move the needle? Well, that deal doesn't work. Um, well, I know, but I'm saying plus whatever you got to do to make the deal work. I'm saying it's very, yeah, it'd be, it wouldn't be very hard to make that work. I right. know. I'm just saying just. Reeves, et cetera, for Murray. But essentially, I'm saying, I don't know if 
moving Reeves and bringing in Murray, I don't know if that moves the needle for the Lakers. Murray, I, scouts I've talked to around the league, they're basically saying one thing they're trying to figure out with Murray is how good of a defensive player is he actually? He had a reputation for being an, a very good defensive player in San Antonio, and you haven't seen that since he was traded. Well, he gets a lot of steals. He led the league in steals a couple of years ago. He, he's, he's, he's got super long arms, so he gets his hands on balls. But I think if you look what's happening with the Hawks, where they're continually getting blown by on the perimeter, and then Capella isn't able to really help him as much at the rim as he used to, Murray's a part of that. Now, one, one thing I will say is that he was sort of viewed as a below average or average at best, but really below average shooter. Yeah. He is having his best three-point shooting year. He's averaging 39% on six a game. Coming in, he was the season, he was about 34%. So he, you know, I don't know if that's sustainable or if he's just on a hot streak, but he is because the thing about the Lakers is they just can't afford to spend assets and get a guy who isn't help them at all with spreading the floor, but he is, shooting it, he, yeah. he is shooting the ball pretty well. Yeah. 39% um, from three on, on the highest volume of his career. Yeah. So I think if you're the Lakers, you're trying not to give both Reeves and the pick. If you can give one and not the other. Well, and look, if you're the Lakers, it has to be the pick. You, you know, I, to me, you have to be willing to give up the draft compensation if this is if you decide, hey, we've got to get DeJounte Murray, because the whole point is you're trying to win when you have the greatest player of this generation still playing at an all NBA level at 39 years old. So, yo, know, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you just don't think down the road at all, but you are a mediocre team right now. That, that might be charitable. In a position of trying to make a a a win now major needle moving type of, of of trade and sending out your third best player and just you know even if you feel like it's an upgrade to your third best player it ain't enough of an upgrade to make that kind of a difference well you know, especially you when you have three really good had players D'Angelo Russell and and you know discuss the draft compensation if so then i then you get aggressive in those conversations but i just if Austin Reeves is involved, I just don't think it makes sense for the Lakers. Well, you know, if you're Atlanta, you, you, you know, it's not just the Lakers. This is what Woj was, you know, I was talking about, you know, I'm, I know that the Lakers and the Hawks have talked and I know that it was like, okay, check back after January 15th. What Woj is saying is it's not just the Lakers. And I know the Knicks have been tied in. I would keep an eye on the Nets. Well, the thing about DeJounte Murray is he he's a guy who has to have the ball in his hands, right? Like that, I know he's shooting the ball well from three this year, but he's really a, a pretty ball dominant guard. Yeah, that, and if you're going to have a... That's why the Hawks are moving him. Right. It, the, fit, the fit there has not worked in part because the perimeter defense has been terrible because he was supposed to be a guy who would be locking up guys next to Trey Young, and he hasn't been, right? I mean, he's not, he's far from the only problem in Atlanta, but that's that was the theory of what they did, and it hasn't worked that way. Now, I want to hear Wendy's list of teams. Well, I was going to say the Nets are the team I've been thinking about with them for a while because they don't really have anybody who can dribble. And if you put DeJounte Murray on the Nets, he would raise their level, I think, pretty significantly right away. If they, you know, they have 
uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is an expiring contract. They have draft assets. They've got Cam Thomas if they like him. Like they have some stuff they could trade. They have Phoenix and, draft assets. That's right. So you you put him on a team like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. I never liked the fit in New York. We talked about that before yeah. because you got Jalen Brunson. And again, you're in the same situation you're in Atlanta. Why would you do that? And it's the same reason I don't like the fit for the Lakers because, well, I, I think your point about Austin Reeves is spot on. I think we all have, I think, a slightly overrated Austin Reeves, the player. But what's unquestionable is he's their third best player. They might not have a fourth good player. And if you're trading the third good player you have on the team to bring back one guy, you're more or less in the same spot you are. Well, what if you, you don't trade Austin Reeves? What if you what if you trade like D'Angelo Russell and the pick? And like, well, that's why I was saying to McMahon's point that that to me the Lakers need to add. They have a very shallow pool. Obviously, there's two huge fish in it, but they got a very shallow pool of good players. Taking well, out of that pool is I also, does not seem to make a lot of sense. I also don't know where the Hawks what the Hawks feel about Jalen Hood Shafino. That would, you know, he's obviously a rookie, hasn't played much, but he's a guy that you could put in the deal because he's another young player. And he, it almost functions as like another first round pick. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So if you were able, if you were the Lakers and you made an offer that was like D'Angelo Russell, the first round pick that they have, haggle on the protection and, you know, Hood Shafino, you know, it's, they can at least say, well, we got two pieces and off the money. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, Russell has a player option for next year for 18 million, which I would be stunned if he doesn't pick up. And if he does pick it up, then that becomes a possible trade asset as well. So I just don't like the fifth of the Lakers. I just don't, I, he's a good player. I, I just think so, it's a bad so fit with the LeBron. Lakers. The, the Lakers, Palenka is obviously going to be under pressure again to upgrade. I'm going to tell you why the Lakers would would do it. You know, first off, again, I always I'm always saying this: the Lakers don't get to go to the store and there's 30 players on the market to trade for and say, "Oh, we'll take this one. We'll take player 17 on the list." There's a there's a small group of players who are available that the Lakers can acquire with what they have. I do think Dejounte Murray is a player they can acquire, and when you compare him to Zach Levine, he literally makes roughly half the money of Zach Levine, For a little bit months. more than, but then it gets to 25 and you're still not paying him 40. Okay. But do, it's, do, it's do less they... money. And it's a guy who plays, who, who doesn't have injuries. I mean, he's had a past ACL, but he doesn't have huge injury issues with his knee right now. Like Levine does. And he plays both ends of the court. I know he's maybe not as good defensively as, his reputation may be, but he's better defensively than Zach Levine. So if you're comparing those two and you're saying, well, he's, he's eight figures a year cheaper. He's signed to a contract that most people in the league think is a reasonable contract. If they have to retrade him, they could. Mm -hmm. If he is shooting. Okay. If he plays both ends of the court, you can, it doesn't take long to see how the Lakers might talk themselves into it. Also, I'll say, your point about him needing the ball on temps, that's true. One of the things the Lakers are having a problem right now with is a guy to initiate their offense because Russell has been so bad and Reeves has been not good in the starting lineup that they've been starting with LeBron as their point guard. And since LeBron's been playing point guard for them, his productivity has dipped significantly. His numbers in January, since he basically became the starting point guard, have really gone down. And I know that DeJounte isn't a, a, a starting point guard, but with him and LeBron out there, you have two different guys who can kind of initiate the offense. I'm not like super excited about it, but I'm trying to explain 
the way they may be seeing it. If I'm Rob Palenka, though, it it's not it, there's not a store with 30 guys available, but it's not just Levine or DeJounte Murray. I'm calling Charlotte. I'm inquiring about Terry Rozier. I'm at least checking to to see, you know, if he might be available at a significantly lower cost. Um, because I think that, you know, that's a guy who would give you a lot of the stuff you need and wouldn't cost you as much. It's not, it's not the big splash. Um, although he is averaging like 23 points per game. Nobody's nobody knows that because the Hornets are playing on the Hornets. Yeah. So Rozier's here's Rozier's contract. Rozier makes 23 million this year, 25 next year, and 26 the year after, which is a team option. So you'd only technically be on the hook for him for another year if you wanted it. Um, he is, I mean, he is a shoot first player. I mean, uh, and no one's going to say he's a two-way player, but he is a guy who can give you big time offense. He is an I mean, explosive offensive player at times. I mean, look, I, th- I mean, if I was the Lakers, I think a better move than getting DeJounte Murray would be getting Dorian Finney-Smith. Like, I think the Lakers need to try to find, like we, I talked, we don't ever last talked about this a couple pods ago last week, whatever. I think the Lakers need to try to find two guys who can play defense and hit catch and shoot threes. I know everybody's the whole league players. wants that. The whole okay, league. Okay. I, under, I right, understand why that. the price for Dorian Finney-Smith isn't going to, you know, it ain't I, well, I'm not saying it's going to be dramatically cheaper than DeJounte Murray, but my point is you're going to try to maximize this team. I think you've got to try to find as many of those guys as you can find between now and February and say, if we're going to have any chance of winning, it's going to be with LeBron and his, the ball in his hands all the time. When he doesn't have the ball in his hands, we're going to give it to Austin Reeves and he's going to have the ball in his hands. And that's what we're going to do. And we're going to, and then we're going to have shooting and defense around Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And when he's on that ball, give it to Austin Reeves. That to me, like you talk about it all the time. When they were good last year, that was the formula, right? They guarded. I agree. I agree. And they don't have any shooting on the team. So they got to find, like Torian Prince is not a great player, but he has come in and he can guard people to some degree and he's hit open threes, right? Like Torian Prince is like, man, he's shooting fine. My point is, they don't. I don't think getting Dejounte Murray and giving up a bunch of assets for him when I think it's a bad fit with LeBron and going to be clunky, and it, it still doesn't solve the overall problem for them to me. Well, I think the Lakers' big challenge is their defense. Obviously, isn't as good as it was last year, but there are certain times where their offense is just flatline. And at least if you have a guy like DeJounte, you have a guy who can go out there, create his own shot, be dynamic, can put up 25 points in a game. And again, I'm not like arguing like that this is a trade that's going to change the face of the conference, but I could understand and also gives them a guy that if they needed to retrade, they could. I'm not in love with it, but I, I get it. I get that's I get why they're looking at it. And okay. let's just be honest. He's represented by Clutch. Right. So you so know that LeBron now we get, now is... we get to it. By the way, the Lakers are tied with the Magic for 28th in threes made a game. Like they good. need they need that that the reason their offense is not good is they don't have enough shooting. No lasers. Agreed. They're also 22nd in three point percentage. Like they they need to go get yeah. shooting that could guard. Like that's not DeJounte Murray. It's also not Zach Levine. Like Zach Levine at least is a great three point shooter, but like 
again, if they trade all this stuff for Zach Levine, I don't think that's solving their problems either. And I know no, everybody's I, I, looking for wings that can shoot the ball. I get that. But I think I, those I, kind I of think players there's a zero percent chance of the Lakers trading for Zach Levine. Zero. Zero. Ooh. Zero. Point oh. Oh point oh. The Lakers I also, do. by the way, are dead last. Lakers, by the way, dead last in three point attempts per game. Like you want to, like that's a straight line to why their offense is bad. There's You're just right. not enough shooting. They have to get. They need shooting that can somewhat guard. That's what they have to be trying to do. Do we want to? Shanti Murray is not that kind of player. Do we want to hit on some other teams that we think are potential aggressive shoppers? Aggressive well, shoppers. Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I'll be very surprised if the Sixers don't do anything between now and the trade deadline. Joel Embiid seems like he practiced Sunday. I think he'll be back for the games Monday and Tuesday. They play the Nuggets on the second night of a back-to-back again for the second time in five days. We have a marquee matchup in the league where we have one at least one of the teams play on the second night of a back-to-back, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But I, I expect Philly to to try to get better between now and the deadline. I expect the Knicks to make... I would expect the Knicks to make at least another move between mm-hmm. now and the deadline. I'm not sure what. I mean, they, they've got some flexibility to go in a lot of different directions. As Adrian reported, Mitchell Robinson, decent chance to be back by the end of the season. So, you know, they've got some flexibility to go different directions there. Let's see. Who else here the, would be we, we talked about the Pacers earlier, but with the fact that they're below the cap, they have Buddy Heald's expiring contract. They have Bruce Brown, who's a big, you know, he's, I know he's got a um, player option, but he's a big number. They could also it's a team, option. team option, team option. Oh, so, I yeah. thought it was a, a large, option. it's My a fault. large expiring. It's a large, potentially a large expiring contract. Okay. They've got, they've got a lot of expiring money, Buddy Heald and him are too big, yeah. big, not, you know, nice sized expiring contracts. They also have all their own picks plus the worst of, uh, the the Thunder's 2024 crop. Yeah, they have eight. Bobby says they have eight million in cap space and five tradable firsts, 10 seconds. And um, so they are in prime position if they want. Now, I don't think they're going to look for rentals. That's why we talked about, right. um, you know, but uh, I think there, I think there is, you know, it's not as exciting to talk about the Pacers, but they are, they are, as a, they are as in good a position to make noise as anybody in the league. Uh, with yeah. Philly, with Philly right there as well. A couple others I wanted to just hit on real quick. The Kings, kind of the sense I get is they are aggressively exploring, but don't aren't necessarily operating under the pressure of having to make a move. But they have they owe up the lottery protected pick to Atlanta for a herder, and other than that, they have all their own. In the Thunder, come up. I don't think. Well, I mean, I think it's. Very safe. He's not in any any major hurry to. He does certainly doesn't feel any pressure to make a splash with the evaluation period so far resulting in a team that's tied for first place in the Western Conference. Um, I would suspect the Bucks will try to do stuff. John Horse has typically been really aggressive in season trying to make trades. I know they have limited trade assets. However, one asset they do have is Portland's second round pick. Which is a pretty a pretty juicy second round pick, and they've got some expiring money to float around or some money to float around. I don't know if they'll get anything done given the situation they're in, but I would expect that they will explore stuff just based off of horse history. Went and traded for Nikola Mirotic at the trade deadline. Went and got who they trade for last year, Jay Crowder at the trade deadline. Like they've consistently gone and tried to make moves in season, and that's a pretty good second. 
it would probably get him in the mix for some stuff. I would guess they'll try to use it to do something. Well, Jay Crowder is an interesting name, not only possibly to be traded, but he he hasn't played all year. I I don't know what he's kind of come back from injury. I don't know if, you know, I don't know how he's looking. Yeah. But that could be their sort of move. Could be. um, What What about the heat? Obviously they were involved in some major uh, I mean, the Dame Lillard conversations this he, summer. He don't make a lot of in-season trades. I'd be, I'd be, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, especially if, you know, if we see some significant names come available, the Heat are always ready to pounce on those, but they typically tend to do their business in the summer. I mean, Brian spent even more time around him than I have, but I would, if I had to guess, I would say they're lower down on the list. I mean, the the interesting group, right, is that nine to 12 group in the East. All these teams are bad. Chicago, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Toronto. They all, for different reasons, I think, are going to be actively trying to do stuff. You know, maybe the Nets less so, but like the Nets have a lot of guys that if they decide to trade them, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, they got all these wings they could trade that teams would be interested in. Chicago, we've talked about Zach Levine incessantly. We just talked about DeJounte Murray. We talked about Pascal Siakam earlier. Like a lot of the trade market could hinge on what those three, and if you count the Nets, four teams wind up doing. But I think I the thing the, the thing about the Heat is you've got uh, Kyle Lowry's thirty million dollar expiring salary, which gets them into a lot of yep. situations. They also have two tradable firsts, but yep. they are right on, and I mean like within a few hundred thousand of the second apron line. And so, forget about Lowry for a second. E- even if you you know get in and start talking about well, they could package Josh Richardson and Thomas Bryant, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. They are not going to incrementally improve and end up in the second apron. Yeah. If they're going to do a deal, it's to be, it's going to be to try to big move. And I don't know if that's going to be presented for that. In fact, I think it's more likely because I think Bobby has explained before that Tyler Hero has some bonuses in, the, in his contract. If any, and if he hits them, I think they go into the second apron. It wouldn't surprise me if they, figure out a way to slice off a player just to give them right. some breathing room so that they could right. sign somebody in the buyout market, you know? And by the way, in the buyout market, I've got to keep a name on eye on is uh, PJ Tucker. Uh, Cause I do think the Clippers are a team as well. That is not done. Tucker PJ is does that money for next, next year. year too. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. He's, he's due money next year. Yep. About player but, option for next year, but they are a team that's I think going to be active trying to add to their team over the next few weeks. Right. So the so the Clippers, so PJ is uh eleven million bucks. Yeah, he's got eleven five next year. Yeah, there's no way he's not picking that up. But it wouldn't it wouldn't be, it'd be keep an eye on PJ Tucker. He's mm-hmm. not really playing. Um also Mason Plumley. He's sort of their third big now that they've uh that they acquired Daniel Tice. He's he's getting their backup minutes. And they have a you know, they have a couple of interesting younger players. I don't know if anybody wants Bones Highland at this point, and then um um, nobody did last year pj <laughs> boston anyway yeah. uh i the the clippers have one set, uh, first round pick left that they can trade i believe it's 2030 mm-hmm. i don't i don't think they want to trade that but i do think that they are interested in next year they're going to be you know in the full second apron rules and they're going to be limited in what they can do in aggregating players so it wouldn't surprise me if they would try to get one more piece, even if it wasn't a guy who was going to really impact their team this year, but would give them something to trade next year. So PJ would be the guy to watch for, but like, that's a, that's a player that 
a team, especially a team in the Eastern Conference, who's maybe not going to wouldn't face the Clippers in the you know the conference playoffs, might be interested in acquiring, especially teams who've had him, like Milwaukee or Miami. Yeah, another team I would keep an eye on is the Rockets. I was going to ask you, Tim, about Dallas and Houston and what your thoughts were on what they were well, going to do. Think, I think that you know the Rockets. Um, obviously, I don't think they do anything short-sighted. But the point of the deal with Oklahoma City was getting Victor Ol- Oladipo as an expiring contract. You know, if if it's about picks, obviously it have to be something that really helps them moving forward. But they had their own from twenty-seven to thirty. They had the Nets twenty-four, twenty-six. 27 swap. There's a complicated, like multi-team. My head hurts looking at it, swapping 25. So they have uh some draft capital. Um, they're right in the thick of things as far as the play-in. Uh, obviously, they still have a, a lot of young talent, and they are a competitive team that's still trying to develop good young players. I think you can certainly make an argument that one of the best ways to develop good young players is to get them playoff experience and i'm looking at like al and shingoon and jabari smith jr tari eason um cam whitmore has actually been playing really well for them with some yeah, injuries played well played well in a blot lost and bit boston i watched last night but they, you know the, their moves last summer have panned out as they anticipated and i just i i know they will be aggressive exploring it i don't know if there's something that's going to come up for them or not but definitely keep an eye on them and as far as the mavericks uh, I think it's the same thing as far as you know. We, we there's a lot of there's a lot of discussion linking them to Siakam. Um, you can certainly make a case for it. I think the biggest case against it is: Are you going to move forward with a third forty million dollar a year type of player and one who is is not a uh, floor spacer? You know, when you have Luke and Kyrie and you're obviously building around that. Um, I expect them to look to upgrade, but I don't think there's anything close to the desperation last season. And the biggest reason I say that is because Derek Lively the second, while he's been hurt a couple of times, he's he's missed the last week and change and missed another week and change before with an ankle. But just drafting Derek Lively the second. I think you're they're going to move forward past this season with a sense of optimism and and more specifically I think Luca does just because Lively is such a high ceiling superstar role player type of guy if that makes sense you know what I'm yeah. saying in other words totally. I say superstar role player I think he's I think he's got a chance to be an absolute elite rim runner rim protector exact kind of center that luca wants to play with and so i think there's a there's a totally different near future outlook just because they really seem to have hit big on that pick that they tanked to keep and i guess golden state is busy too because i can't imagine them just standing pat with this team i don't know what that means i feel like we'll be i'll be awfully surprised if it's exactly the same roster in a month all right well a lot to be discussed thank you for uh Spending some time with us here. Thank you to Bon Thompson McMahon. Thank you to Jackson, our producer. Thank you for listening. We'll be talking to you in a few days. Hey, I think it's fitting that we ended this with some positive shh about the Mavericks. Have a great, great week, fellas, and all you out there. And adios, amigos.